Hello and welcome to Plattress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Love is a Rogue by Lenora Bell. This was published in 2020 and is the first books in the Wallflowers vs. Rogues series. <laughs> I have to admit, I love the name of the series. Oh, it's so fun. And it leans into every trope. So, like, just count that as trope one and two. Yeah. Book jacket? They call her Beastly Beatrice. Wallflower Lady Beatrice Bentley longs to remain in the wilds of Cornwall to complete her etymological dictionary. Too bad her brother's gothic mansion is under renovation. How can she work with an annoyingly arrogant and too handsome rogue swinging a hammer nearby? Rogue, scoundrel, call him anything you like as long as you pay him. Navy man Stamford Wright is leaving England soon, and renovating Thornhill House is just a job. It's not about the Duke's bookish sister or her fiery copper hair, or the etymology lessons the prim yet alluring lady insists on giving him, or the forbidden things he'd love to teach her. They say never mix business with pleasure, but when Beatrice and Ford aren't arguing, they're kissing. Sometimes temptation proves too strong to resist. Even if the cost is a heart. Terrible jacket. <laughs> it was awful. It was really bad. All right. So the real big, not conflict, but like plot point in this book is that Beatrice is inherits this bookshop that has a secret history as like a dirty bookshop. Yeah. And her mother wants to sell it under her nose. She wants to use it as a society. And this evil man wants to buy it from her so he can create a sweatshop, basically. Yeah. Ford volunteers to be her carpenter to save this bookshop. Right. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little hazy on why. So she needs to renovate the bookshop to prove that it's... Yeah, so basically, the, the guy who wants to buy her out when she says, my mother sold it to you without my permission, he says, well, if you don't sell it to me, I'm going to have the building condemned. Right. So she says, okay, then I'll fix it up. And then his threats get increased, like, different and more severe. He's a nightmare, bad dude, don't worry, he's redeemed in the end, question mark? <laughs> question mark, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into the tropes, as usual, we wrote our own summaries based on a random number. So the number that we generated this week was 16. I'll go ahead and start. The best thing about sexy historical naval carpenters? Probably that they're very good with their hands. I was really into the description of his calluses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love a good working class hero. I'll just like say emotionally, it. spiritually, physically. Yeah. What's yours? A bookshop is pretty much the most romantic place I can think of, especially for sex. I mean, we've, we've all had those fantasies, I'm sure, right? Where's the lie? Yeah. And of course, we do have a Gentleman Jackson's Get Pit workout, I guess, for the rogue, since this is Love is a Rogue. Yes. And it's pretty easy. Basically, he does a lot of, like, home reno. Well, that's what he does in the book. But the long-term how he got that body is just being a carpenter specifically at sea. Specifically at sea, yeah. So he's like, he's one of those carpenters who goes out with the Navy. So like year-round, he's fixing shit on boats. 
So I guess when they get damaged in naval battles or normal wear and tear, he's the one to fix it up. Yeah, that's his job. So so I will say, before we get into tropes, I want to praise this book for a trip that trope that didn't happen. Stanford is not secret nobility. He's not. I want to... I don't remember the last time we read a book about a girl falling for a working class guy, if she herself was aristocracy, where he wasn't secretly aristocracy to make things more palatable. It's true. It's true. Well, there was the lady and the mill worker. I read that. Which I did. I read that. So. Okay. I told so you about it. So I'm going to pretend like you read it. Okay, thanks. I'll work with that, too, because that means I've read way more, especially in the last week, than I actually have. <laughs> so what is the central trope of this novel? I mean, besides Wallflower versus Rogue? Yeah. I guess I would say, like, inheritance schemes. Yeah, so there's a lot of, like, shenanigans with the will that left her this bookshop, as well as, like, secret letters the aunt who formerly owned the bookshop left behind. Right. That- that plot is actually pretty fun, and I think pretty, like, it's not super delved into, but there was nothing glaringly wrong or frustrating about it. No, uh, I would say it was one of the things that I liked most about this book. So I did like that part. I thought it was really interesting and fun. Yes, agree. Uh, my favorite sequence in the book, there is an oh my god pants moment. Mm-hmm. She wears pants. She wears pants. And, of course, he thinks it's amazing. Yeah. Daddy issues. They both have some daddy issues. Hers is not quite as bad as his. Hers are more parental unit issues, like mommy issues. But he well, has some major. A dick. Yeah. Who, like, made her scared and insulted her. He's dead now. Right. But he so, made her, like, living hell. Yes. He's dead. So I feel... <laughs> I wasn't as struck by her daddy issues as I was by his. But his weren't granddaddy issues. Yeah, his were granddaddy issues. Hers were daddy issues. Yeah. She is a part of a blue stocking society of, like, eccentric women who are trying to meet for social good. This was one of the most frustrating parts of the book for me. Yeah, so they meet for social good, but and they all have their own specific ambitions. So what brings them together is that they're all women and they all have professional or personal ambitions in their life. But other than that, they don't have a lot in common. Well, I'm not sure what they're working for. Well, they were very personal, specific, dare I say selfish. I should say this. I know what they are personally working on. I don't know what the society is working for. No, exactly. That's why I'm saying I don't know what exactly they had in common other than the fact that they all had their own personal ambitions. Well, I think this is a good point to talk about the two things that frustrated me the most in this book, Mm -hmm. in this context. One, all of the ladies are clearly the romantic heroes of the next book, heroines of the next books in the series, with the exception of the one member of the group who is already married. Uh This book, even though it's the first in the series, is clearly building off of a universe And I found all the callbacks to the previous books without having read them very jarring and frustrating. Yes. I I found them less jarring and frustrating, I think, than Lane. Uh, I can read out of order much more easily than she can. Uh, But I could tell that this was part of an already established universe. Second of all, 
their whole society's front because they don't want to tell people they're a progressive lady society, which is working on question mark, just general uh, progressive issues. Their front is that they're a knitting club. Right. And I personally found the text to be very dismissive of knitting. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, we don't really knit. We're badasses. First of all, good knitters can knit and talk and plan. <laughs> Second of all, you don't have to be derogatory about women who like to knit, okay? It's a good point. Just saying. <laughs> Okay, so she's part of this blue stocking society. Um, her mother wants her to come out and be a part of society. And so she makes a deal with her mom uh, that she will do her best to be a good debutante as long as her mother allows her to continue to be a part of the society. Right, and this gets into the marriage-minded mama trope, like all of that adjacent stuff. Her mom is pushing her to try, and I think we've seen this trope a couple of times, though the exactly where is slipping my mind, this idea that a woman who was previously very forgettable either gets a makeover or changes her comportment or changes her behavior and suddenly becomes the most desired woman in society. Mm-hmm. Beatrice, know- Beatrice knows what's happening to her is happening because she's got a dowry. Right. The fact that she's suddenly not hiding takes her from that weird girl who I guess has a dowry to this acceptable person who has a dowry. I like that they didn't suddenly say she was the ingenue of the season. No. Just because she started to be personable. But she does just enough that it stops being a she's got a dowry but. Right. And starts being just she's got a dowry. Which I loved the nuance of that. Yeah. I, I liked it. I liked it. We also see this is the biggest trope in the world, usually when there's some sort of class conflict. He is offered money to give her up. Yep. And it's always, it's always just a very satisfying trope because they always turn it down, right? It's, it's just very satisfying. Well, and the one time I can remember them keeping it, they accepted it and put it in a trust for her. Right. But her brother is not the bag of dicks that one would expect. No. No, her brother is much, much better than the rest of her family. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest. I, I was really expecting to love this book. I love the idea of a, of a woman who's into etymology. Like that's something that I'm very interested in myself. Uh, I love the blue stocking trope. I love the class conflict trope. So these are all things that really raised my expectations. Personally, I didn't love this book. I actually really liked this book. I really liked the experience of reading it. I thought the characters were really fun. I thought the ending sort of fizzled out and was a little bit rushed on a lot of different levels, not just in terms of their relationship, but also in terms of like how they solve the central problem of how she's going to keep this building. Mm-hmm. A lot of new characters and new dynamics get introduced in like the last 10%, which I always find frustrating. Right. But I really enjoyed the first 90. So I just said that I didn't love this book. There were a lot of things that I did like. So I really liked the fact that she inherited this bookshop. And then as they explore it, there's a whole secret, basically pornographic section. Right. That she knew there was a scandal associated with the bookshop. And she thought it was somehow tied to her aunt's behavior. 
as a person. And it turns out the scandal is the shop itself, which I thought was so much fun. And also there's a whole bunch of secret bookshelves. Yes. And I am always a sucker for like a maze of secret rooms via book. That was really fun. So I really liked that part. I also found it very interesting that uh, Lenora Bell chose to make Beatrice the one who has a physical deformity or irregularity. So we've talked about the scar trope. I don't think it fits in the scar trope, which is why I didn't write it under tropes. But I did think it was really interesting that the heroine was the one who was physically imperfect. Yeah, I wanted to understand her deformity better. I want, look, I thought it was very interesting. I really wanted it to be delved into more and be, this is, I think this was my biggest issue was the book is I felt that the whole thing was very surface and I didn't get a lot of depth. Um, I, I can totally agree with that. I think I was kind of in the mood for that. Yeah. But to be honest, I had to Google palsy. Yeah. Not because I didn't remember what it is, but because I think of it in terms of like cerebral palsy. Right. And I don't think that's what she had. No, uh, no, she didn't have cerebral palsy. She just had a, uh, it looked, so it seemed to me like she had nerve damage in her face. Right. And so when they say like her crooked little half smile, they mean that she can't actually move half of her mouth. Right. Exactly. And I think I was having trouble picturing it just because it wasn't, like palsy was basically, and this is accurate because I Googled it. Um, like it, it was just a general term for some sort of paralysis mm-hmm. back in the day. Now, obviously there are specific diagnoses to certain types of palsy. Right. But I think I, I didn't quite have a sense of, I guess it doesn't matter. Like she used to be insecure about it. She found her peace with it even before she met him. He notices it, but it doesn't detract from her physicality for him. I don't think I, I don't think I understand exactly how, how do I put this? Like, I I don't think I understand how well she quote unquote passed as typical. Right. Uh, Yeah. That this has defined her life other than like her father's relationship with her. That's how I took it. Right. No, I agree. I don't think, I don't think that if her family had made such a big deal out of it, that it would have been a major issue for her going out on the marriage mart. But because it had been made such an issue by her, by her father, but also by her mother, that's what caused the issue rather than the actual deformity itself. So anyway, I I thought it was very interesting. I would have liked to see it be more delved into and get a little more depth. What else did you like? So I already mentioned it. I liked that she was into etymology and was writing a dictionary. I did. So I liked the general idea. Again, I feel like this is going to be a theme for me. Like the general idea, did I love how it played out? No, I didn't love it. She starts out the book by being super pretentious and annoying and using all these really long words. I like words too. And I used long words, but I don't know. I, Even I felt that her depiction was a little over the top. Yeah, I also, it kind of bothered me. She was talking about how she feels like words are archaic and being lost that have a very specific function. And she sort of 
loves the specificity right. of a lot of those longer, more archaic words. And even in my head, I'm like, look, I am not an etymological expert, but I feel like a lot of those archaic words with very specific meanings were never common parlance. Right. Like, there have always been obscure words, even in the past. I think her, I want to preserve language in, ex- in its exact form to have communication be as clear as possible. Like, I agree with that general thesis. But I think the way she executed it and expressed her love of it in the book was sort of pedantic. Oh, absolutely. That's a, absolutely the right word for it. She's very pedantic. Uh, also, for someone who loves words, she didn't seem to love reading a lot. So she liked writing this dictionary, but she didn't love reading books. Disagree. She's I'm a happy. that she's working out of in the original house. She lends him her favorite novels at separate points in the book. She's come into this bookshop before on her own, not just to shop for work lit, but also for personal lit. I agree that her like reading for pleasure wasn't really a part of the text. But I think enough references were made to her as a reader and her as a book lover that I don't think it's fair to say she wasn't interested in books. She was interested in books for the knowledge that they would impart not for the pleasure of reading. That was what I got out of it. See, <laughs> I, I did, like, the books she and he, she lent him were fun adventure novels. Right. Like, I definitely got the impression she was a reader who read for fun. That's fine. Uh, and I liked, I, how can you not, the desk sex. So not only do they have desk sex, he built her the desk that they have sex on. Yeah. So I liked it. No, he brought it up. He didn't build it. He brought it up. Brought it up from the basement. He built the bookcase. He fixed it up. Like he, right? He like laid out the stuff on the desk that showed he cared and showed he knew her. But he didn't build the desk. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Look, I'm all for his carpentry skills. I think we should only like be fair about what he actually built. Oh. All right. So, what else did you like about it, Lane? I liked. That they were on the same team pretty early on. That's true. Like they had this like common that. goal of repairing this bookshelf and sticking it to this evil dude. I liked that when his past ties to the evil dude were revealed, they she was mad at him, but they immediately spoke in a continuation of the same scene and resolved their differences. Even like we said, there's the trope of like he's offered money to leave her. He's the one who tells her that. It's not like a fake conflict. That's true. So I think this is this, true. All of that, like, they really, truly were working together. I loved. I loved how much ownership she had in their sexual dynamic and their, like, romantic mm-hmm. dynamic. Like, she's the first one to suggest that they, like, be mistress, mister, mistress? <laughs> mister, mister, mistress. She'd be his mister. Um, anyway. <laughs> I, li- I really liked a lot of her friends. Yeah. Um, I liked how not subtle they were. I liked the trope, like, there's this grand finale at a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that even though he's there to protect her when things get rough, there are two scenes where she stands up for herself. Mm-hmm. And he only appears at the end to basically be like, oh, my God, you handled that so well. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't, she speaks for herself. But she recognizes that having a strong man at her back is useful, especially in the time period. 
Um, so I think all of those were the things that really worked for me. And I thought the erotic, secret erotic novel bookstore was a really fun concept. I mean, that I will say it until the end of the day. That was probably my favorite part of the book. I loved it. The secret erotic bookstore with secret yeah. passages and bookshelves that hit it. Like, yes, give me that. Yeah, you know, I can't disagree with anything you said. Honestly, I just, I feel like maybe Lenora's Bell, I feel like maybe Lenora Bell's writing just didn't resonate with me. I think, I honestly think it was the text itself and the way it was written and not the things that were depicted. Yeah, it's like I said, your biggest criticism of it being sort of surface, I don't disagree with. Mm -hmm. I was definitely in the mood for that. For and just sort of potato chippy, plow through, knit while I read, ha ha. <laughs> the one thing you're like pissed off about. <laughs> yeah, knit while I read. Like I'm going to just like enjoy these characters and not have to think too hard about it. Yeah. Well, I think to a way this like veers into offensiveness. The only thing I can think of at all is definitely just a content warning. He has PTSD. Yeah. Well, other than I mean, that, nothing offended me. I mean, was I offended by anything? No. To content warnings, I would add basically her childhood. So the way she was denigrated by her family. Yeah, there is a lot of mean comments, but they're like in her memory. It's not something happening to her on the page. Right. So I, I don't want our listeners to think that I hated this book because I certainly didn't hate it. I just didn't love it. Yeah. So. To each their own. That's allowed. We're allowed. This is a podcast now. We disagree. <laughs> did you think this book was sexy? I did. So I will say that I did think it was sexy. I loved it. So things I thought were really sexy. Um, I totally bought the palpable sexual tension. Yes. Like they totally were so hot for each other. And I think that they were both honest with themselves and each other while they worked through their feelings. Mm-hmm. I get why they weren't more forward physically or emotionally sooner. Love the desk sex. It's really hard to say. But I would add to that there's a hookup in an opera box. There is. That's true. Trope and sexiness. There's also a really fun kissing scene in his bedroom. This is all true. There's a lot of, like, I can't watch her do this thing anymore because if she keeps doing it, all I'm thinking about is sex. He was just so into her he, when they he were working was. together in the house, and I really dug yes. that. Yes. It, it took a little bit of time for him to be into her. Yes. But once he was into her, I was into them. Yeah, this was a little bit enemies to lovers E, Not enough to make it the trope because they come to their to terms very quickly. Mm-hmm. But when he's originally working on her brother's estate and she's the hindborn lady in the towel, he, tower, he just thinks she's really snooty. Right. And he's trying to bother her and shake her afters. But quickly as he comes to know her, he realizes her aloofness is not born of pretension, but rather out of self-preservation. Right. So, so in general, I would say this is a, this is a fun book. There are a lot of parts of it that are really enjoyable. This is one I can see myself rereading. Um, I'm interested, especially, this is one that definitely inspired me to want to read more books by this author. So I can't speak to what comes before, but I would like to know what all those references to other characters that were getting made were. 
My only criticism is, like I said, I do think the ending's a letdown. I like how potato chippy and fun and, like, surface their relationship is in the first 90%. And then a lot of nuance gets introduced in the last 10% that I just felt was totally a big shift from the rest of the book. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the very end of the book. So... Yeah, so, like, totally don't discourage you from reading it. And it's not like, this isn't one of those books where the ending pissed me off. No, absolutely not. I wasn't angry or anything at the end of the book. Just a lot of stuff happens. And I think taking a little bit more time with it and their relationship in the very end, I would have enjoyed. But I recommend it. Uh, You know what? I recommend it, too. Like, I think you should read it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you can find plot twists.